MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and lovely hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you as we're going to be joined in the second segment by Dan Zaborski. He does absolutely terrific work over there with Fangrass. Also does a nice job whenever he's on ESPN as well. He does a little bit of everything when it comes to breaking down baseball. We're going to take a look at some of the biggest disappointments of the first half of the season. Some of the teams that we expect to progress slash regress after the All-Star break. So we're going to have that chat in the second segment. Some of the teams that might wind up picking up pieces slash not picking up pieces as well. We're going to be talking about the Angels since they are very fascinating as well. So going to have a great chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday. And a little something like the call, touch them off first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. 
First one is my Twitter timeline, at JRSquarty1. Keep in mind, the letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not mind getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did wind up having a great day of baseball on Saturday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Yankees have now won four out of their last five, and they got Garrett Cole's best start in quite a while. 1-0, to zero, they take down the Houston Astros. Now the Astros were playing this game without Carlos Correa, but Cole wound up coming back to his old stopping grounds of Houston. First start that he's made there since, I believe he was with the team, and he pitches a complete game. Gives up three hits, 12 punch outs. He was amazing, and the lone run of this game came off of an Aaron Judge solo home run, 21st of the season. That comes up to Zach Granke, goes for innings, gives up that solo homer. I believe they left due to injury from there. Christian Avier gives you three scoreless innings. Ryan Sanic, Ryan Presley from there were able to give you a scoreless inning, but how about Garrett Cole? Looked a little bit better in this one. Looks like he has adapted to no longer being able to use sticky substances, and this was by far his best start of the year. It was not just the Astros that wound up getting shut out on Saturday, though. The Cubs also did 6-0 the final in this one as the St. Louis Cardinals get the job done. Kwon Young Kim, six scoreless innings for the Cards. And then from there, Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, John Gant. I'll give you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, trio of home runs. Tommy Edmond, fifth home run the season. Paul DeYoung is 12th. And Paul Goldschmidt, his 13th as Zach Davies. Not necessarily the start he was looking for. Gives up three runs in four and a third innings. And a Cubs bullpen that has been solid all year long. They now have north of a 70 RA over the last 14 days. You wind up having two runs in a third of an inning given up by Adam Morgan, including Homer. Dan Winkler gives up a solo home run in a third of an inning. Credit to Keegan Thompson and Rex Brothers. Two scoreless innings out of them a piece. But for the Cubs, of eight with men in scoring position, just nothing doing for them in this game. Nothing doing for the LA Angels as well. A team that has scored at least four runs in 23 out of their last three games. They wind up getting shut out 2-0 against the Seattle Mariners. Patrick Sandoval gives up two runs over the course of seven innings. He gave a good start. And then from there, Steve Ciszek, Alex Claudio, they combine for a scoreless inning. But for the LA Angels, just three hits in this one. Chris Flexen continues to have a sub-2 ERA when he pitches at Seattle. Seven scoreless innings. Drew Seconrider, Paul Seawald, they are all able to give you scoreless innings. And the Seattle Mariners now find themselves at 48-42 and 42 with a run differential of negative 44. We're going to talk about that with Dan Zimborski, trust me, because I do think that there is going to be mondo regression coming in with that team. I think that we might wind up seeing some progression with the Minnesota Twins, and they were able to get the job done against the Detroit Tigers on Saturday, 9-4 the final. For the Detroit Tigres, they wind up having a bullpen game in which Kyle Funkhauser starts it off. During the third inning, scoreless Daniel Norris was able to give you a pair of outs from there. And then Erasimo Ramirez comes in for three innings. He gives up two runs. From there, Joey Menez, he did not do his job. He gives up three runs while recording two outs. Jose Cicero gives up four runs, two of which were earned, and he only got one out. Derek Collin and Ian Kroll were able to combine for a scoreless inning, but for the Detroit Tigers, pair of home runs in this one. Zach Short goes off of Bailey Ober deep, third home run this season, and Nico Goodrum takes over deep as well. His sixth as over. Not the start he was looking for. Gives up four runs in three and a third innings, including those two homers, but the Minnesota Twins bullpen showing a pulse. Ty Duffy, Alex Collin may give you scoreless settings. You wind up getting one and a third innings scoreless out of Danny Colombe and two and a third innings out of Derek Law. And for the Minnesota Twins, pair of home runs of their own. Alex Kurloff, eighth home run of the season. And Ore Palanco is 11th as the Twins have now won five out of their last seven games. 
This is really interesting. For the Orioles, when Tom Eshelman was taken out after four innings, the collective pitching staff over their last 113 and a third innings had a collective 8 to NERA, and they get destroyed by the White Sox. 8 to 3, the final. For these Southsiders, one home run in this one. Brian Goodwin is fourth of the season. That comes off of Mr. Tom Eshelman, who got a shelled, man. He goes two innings and he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Keegan Aiken from there. Long guy goes four and a third innings and he gives up four runs. He was not long for keeping zeros up on the scoreboard. Adam Blutko, two and a third innings, scoreless from there. And he actually got two and two-thirds innings scoreless. So even better for them, but for the Baltimore Orioles, just another pathetic showing as the White Sox get a good start out of Lucas Giolito. Nine strikeouts and five and a third innings. He gives up two runs in the process. Ryan Burroughs able to give you two-thirds of an inning. Scoreless innings out of Cordy Hewer and Liam Hendricks gives you one and a third inning scoreless. And Jose Ruiz was able to go two-thirds of an inning. He did give up a run in the process, but the White Sox had the game in hand by then. For the Oakland A's, they wind up getting an 8-4 win, but it's not necessarily in the way that you'd expect. This was a game that was 3-3 going into the 10th inning, so if you had the under, I do salute you. This is a bad one. As the Oakland A's and Texas Rangers both get a run in the 10th, and then in the 11th, the Oakland A's emerge for not one, not two, not three, but four runs as you wind up having a Stephen Piscotty two-run homer in the 11th inning that really opened things up. His fifth home run the season. You also had Sean Murphy go deep for his 11th home run the season. That comes off of Mike Fultonavich. You wind up having the 10th home run the season off the bat of Mr. Seth Brown. Also off of Fultonavich and Fultonavich would give one up to Jed Lowry. His ninth home run the season for Mr. Fultonavich. Six and a third innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were solo home runs. Taylor Hearn from there was able to give you one and two-thirds innings scoreless. Ian Kennedy was able to give you a scoreless inning in to the credit of Dennis Santana, he was able to close out the 11th inning after Spencer Penn lit this game on fire. Gives up four runs, three of which were earned in the 11th inning. Two outs were gotten by him, and Jolie Rodriguez gives up an unearned run in the 10th out for the Texas Rangers. Joey Gallo goes deep again. His 24th home run season, his 9th in the last 14 days, and then Adolis Garcia gets his 22nd home run of the season. That winds up coming off of James Caparillion, who gives up two runs of his own over the course of five innings, both solo home runs, and then from there, Diolius Guerrera, along with the Esmeto Petit, both give you a scoreless inning. Jake Diekman gives up a run while going a third of an inning, but Lou Trevino was able to give you five outs out of the bullpen, and J.B. Wendelkamp pitches the 10th and 11th inning, giving up one under run in the process, so the Oakland A's were able to snap their losing streak. The San Francisco Giants continue to have the best record out there in the National League. 10-4 to the final. This was not the start that John Lester was looking for. He goes two and two-thirds innings. He gives up eight runs, three of which were. Now, he was hurt by a pair of fielding errors. Gerardo Parra, along with Starlin Castro, did not wind up helping him out in the field, but still not a good showing there. Jeffrey Rodriguez goes two and a third innings. He gives up a run. Kyle McGowan got a pair of outs, gave up a run in the process. And Ryan Harper, two and a third innings, scoreless for the San Francisco Giants. Just one home run this one. Brandon Crawford, he continues his great year. 18th home run the season. And Anthony DiScalfani, he continues his great year. Six scoreless innings out of him. Tyler Beattie, fresh off the injured list. Not what he was looking for. Gives up three runs in an inning. John Breba gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen as well. But you were able to get a scoreless one out of Jose Alvarez. And for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that wound up going 2 of 9 with men in scoring position as Juan Soto still stuck on 11 home runs so far this year, despite the fact that he's going to be competing in the home run derby. I find that to be very curious. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later with our good buddy Dan Zaborski, but even though the Atlanta Braves got the 5-4 win over the Miami Marlins, that was not the story in this one, as Ronald Acuna Jr. wound up being carted off the field while there was a inside-the-park home run going on for Jazz. Shizlum, the Miami Marlins. 
lot of tweeting that out, and well, it got some backlash on social media, rightfully so, and Ronald Acuna, after the game, it was found out that he's got a torn ACL, he's going to miss the rest of the year, we're going to talk about the Braves a little bit with Dan Zaborski, no bueno though, as they did wind up getting the 5-4 win, Freddie Freeman, 19th home run of the season, and Max Fried gives up three runs over the course of five innings, bullpen was relatively solid, you wind up having Luke Jackson, A.J. Minter, and Chris Martin give you a scoreless inning, Will Smith gets shaky with it, giving up a run in an inning, but still able to get it done in for the Miami Marlins. Trevor Rogers, not long for this game, gives up three runs over to earned over the course of four innings. David S. comes out of the bullpen, gives up two runs in an inning, giving up that home run to Freddie Freeman. From there, Richard Blyer and Zach Pop combine for two scoreless innings. Dylan Floro, Yimi Garcia, both give you a scoreless one. And Chislam is inside the park. Homer was his 11th of the season, but no doubt. Losing Ronald Acuna Jr. is much, much bigger than winning a game in Miami. The Philadelphia Phillies, they wind up taking down the Boston Red Sox big time, 11-2 the final. How about Matt Give me some more? Not necessarily a terrible start. Four and a third innings, gives up two runs going deep for the Boston Red Sox off of him. Xander Bogart's 14th home run of the season, and a really poopy Phillies bullpen was able to come up big in this one. You wind up getting a scoreless inning out of J.D. Hammer, one of the best names in all baseball, along Connor Brogdon. Bailey Falter was able to give you two scoreless innings, and Hector Neris got two outs out of the bullpen as well. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, pair of home runs. Alec Bohm was able to get a sixth home run the season off of one Martin Perez, and Gene Zagura is fourth home run the season off of Mr. Perez as he had a rough start. Mr. Perez gives up three runs, all of which were earned in three and two-thirds innings. Josh Shaler comes out of the bullpen, and here's a regression that we were expecting out of the Boston Red Sox bullpen. Four runs given up in a third of an inning. Brandon Workman gives up three runs, and he got as many outs as myself. Austin Bryce goes two innings. He winds up giving up one run. Out of Kazusel, Murak, Garrett Woodlock, they give you a combined three scoreless innings. But for the Boston Red Sox, just nothing doing on this day. Not a lot doing either on this day for the Kansas City Royals. They allow two touchdowns to the Cleveland Indians. 14-6 to a final. For the Kansas City Royals, they got a pair of home runs of their own. Andrew Benatendi, 10th home run season off of Cal Quantrill. Salvador Perez takes Quantrill deep. 21st home run season. As for Quantrill, he gives up three runs in total, including those two homers in six innings. But then from there, Nick Sandlin, Brian Shaw both give you a combined scoreless inning. Phil Mayton and Blake Parker both give you a scoreless inning apiece as well. And then if you're taking a look at the Kansas City Royals, this was not what you were hoping for out of Mike Miner. Gives up six runs in four innings. He was a major disappointment from there. Irvin Santana gives up three runs while being able to get five outs. Ryan Lovelady, he goes two-thirds of an inning, giving up a run. Kyle Zimmer gives up three runs in a third of an inning. And Anthony Swarzak gets a final four outs, gives up a run in the process of the Kansas City Royals. Have all lost 22 out of their last 28 games. The Colorado Rockies won a game on the road. This is not a drill. This is not a test. The Rockies win 3-0 over the San Diego Padres. They are now 8-34 on the road as they got a gem in this one out of one Herman Marquez. Seven scoreless innings. He gave up three hits and one walk in the process, punching out nine. Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bart both give you a scoreless inning. And for the Rockies, they do go 3-14 with men in scoring position, leaving 10 men on base, but they were able to do a solid job in this one. Joe Musgrove only was able to go four and a third innings, gave up two runs, only one of which was earned. He was hurt by an Eric Hosmer fielding error. Bullpen of the Padres did their part. Greg Stammen, along with the gentleman that wound up hitting the Grand Slam off of Max Scherzer. Danielle Camarena, he is going to be a legend for forever. And James Norwood, I'll give you a scoreless inning. Pierce Johnson gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. And Austin Adams gave you a pair of outs as well. But for the Padres, just not a lot doing in this one. They wind up getting a combined five hits. So that was very brutal for them. Speaking of brutal, that's what the Pirates have been all year long. But they wind up getting a split over the New York Mets in their double dip. 
First game winds up going to the Pirates by a count of 6-2. In this one for the Buccos, a pair of home runs. How about Brian Reynolds getting his 16th home run of the season? And the pitcher, Tyler Anderson, gets his first home run since dinosaurs were roaming the earth. As he would give up a home run of his own, he goes five innings, giving up two runs in the process. Jonathan Villar gets his ninth home run season, but for Marcus Roman, he winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings. You wind up having from there, Drew Smith give up a run in an inning, and Trevor May has been regressing a little bit. He winds up giving up two runs in an inning of his own. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates coming out of the bullpen, David Bernard and Richard Rodriguez both give you a scoreless inning, and then in game two, the Mets were able to flip the script. Four to two, they were able to get the W for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jacob Sollings was able to get his seventh home run of the season. That comes off to Seth Lugo, but for Max Kranich, after being taken out after five perfect innings against the St. Louis Cardinals in his first career start, his second one wasn't necessarily as great. He winds up going three innings, giving up three runs off, which weren't including Homer, Chase, and Shreve. Goes two innings out of the bullpen, scoreless claims. Gives up a run and an inning as for the Mets. Going deep off of Kranich. Pete Alonso, 17th home run of the season. For Tyler McGill, winds up getting the start for the Mets in this one. Three and two-thirds innings, he winds up giving up one run. Jersich Familia got the team out of the fourth inning. And then Seth Lugo gives up that solo home run over the course of two innings. And Edwin Diaz was able to give you a scoreless inning to be able to get the save in that one. The Cincinnati Reds were able to salvage a win in Milwaukee. 4-3 the final as for the Red Legs. They were able to get a pair of home runs to be able to burial them out, including one off the bat of Eugenio Suarez off of Josh Hader. Second time that Josh Hader this week has given up a home run for Suarez. 18th of the season for Cassianos is 18th of the season. That comes off for Freddy Peralta, who winds up going five innings, gives up three runs, all of which were earned from there. Brent Suter, two scoreless innings. Brad Boxberger gives you a scoreless setting as well, but Josh Hader takes the loss as this game was 3-3 going into the ninth. Tyrone Taylor was able to get a home run off of Brad Brock, his seventh home run of the season to be able to tie this game in the eighth as Vladimir Gutierrez. Very good start for the Cincinnati Reds. One run given up over the course of six innings. Amir Garrett was able to give you a scoreless setting. Josh Osich and Brad Brock wind up combining for that eighth inning in which Brock gives up two runs, both of which were earned with that home run to Taylor, capping that off, but Heath Embry able to get the save. He gives you a scoreless setting, and for the Reds, now 47 and 42, and all of a sudden, this is a bunch that has gotten quite hot. They are now winners of four out of their last six games, so they appear to be surging a little bit. The Tampa Bay Rays have really been surging at home. 5-2, to two, they wind up getting the win for their sixth straight. For the Buffalo Blue Jays, it was Ross Stripling who winds up giving up four runs in three and two-thirds innings, including not one, not two, but three home runs. Going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays in this one. Mike Zanino, 19th home run of the season, and Brandon Lau not once but twice. His 19th and 20th of the campaign from there, Anthony Kay gives you two-thirds of an inning scoreless. Trevor Richards gets five outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Tim Maza gives up a run in an inning, but Jordan Romano, a scoreless setting of his own, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, Marcus Simeon was able to get his 22nd home run of the season. That comes off of Ryan Yarbrough, but that would be Yarbrough's only mistake. Gives up those two runs over the course of five innings. Matt Wilson, Pete Fairbanks combined for three scoreless innings, and Diego Cassio is able to get a scoreless setting to be able to cap things off. Being able to cap things off out there in Los Angeles was the Dodgers as they just completely pummeled the Arizona Diamondbacks. 22 to 1 the final. The Diamondbacks have now lost 28 out of their last 30 road games. Actually, 29 out of their last 31 road games. It just gets worse. The good news is they were able to get a home run off the bat of Andrew Young, his fifth home run of the season. That would be their only offense as Caleb Smith. Goes one inning and he gives up nine runs off which weren't including three homers. When you get three outs and you give up three homers, you know it's not been a good night. It's also not a good night when you go three innings of relief and you give up three homers. That's exactly what Mr. Alex Young wound up doing. Giving up seven runs, four of which were earned in the process. Jordan Weems, he got one out and he gave up five runs. His ERA is now at 1588 and Josh Reddick 
position player winds up having to round up this game. He gives up one run in two-thirds of an inning. Good news is Mac Peacock was able to give you three scoreless settings of relief, but for the LA Dodgers in this one, let's read off the home run list. Albert Pujols goes deep twice. His 12th and 13th home runs of the season. Justin Turner down for one. His 15th home run of the season. AJ Pollock, his 11th and 12th home runs of the season. Mookie Betts, his 12th home run of the season. We're not done. Cody Bellinger, his 4th home run of the season. And Zach McKinstry, his 17th. Walker Buehler goes six scoreless innings. He needed one run of support, and he got 22. Phil Bickford, a scoreless inning. You might have having a scoreless inning out of Jake Reed, and then it was Garrett Clevenger cast giving up a run in an inning. So the Dodgers, after losing on Friday to the terrible Arizona Diamondbacks, well, they look just fine on Saturday. And it is very interesting to see what we've all had in baseball so far this year from a trend standpoint. If you're looking at overs and unders, it's relatively equal. 642 overs and 630 unders overall for the year. And ever since these sticky substances have been outlawed, we've actually seen a couple more unders and overs. Over the last seven days, it's been slightly skewed to the over, 46 and 44 overall. It's right around 50.5% that we've seen under ever since the crackdown. Favorites over the last seven days have not necessarily been doing as great. 53 and 40, that is a 57% hit rate. And home teams, 51 and 43 in that time span as well. If you're looking overall for the season, home teams, 736 and 593, 55.4% favorites overall, 779 and 537, that is 59.2% that they are hitting at, and over the last three days, favorites have been very dominant, 259 and 144, that is 64.3%, and home teams in that span, 243 and 164. So that's what we all wound up seeing in baseball on Saturday. And that's what we're all seeing from a trend standpoint. Coming up next, we welcome on our good buddy Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs. He does an absolutely terrific job looking at all this. We're going to be doing sort of a midway point look at the baseball season, who we think will progress, who we think will regress, and we're going to check in on the Atlanta Braves after they wind up losing Brown and Lacuna on Saturday. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Wedding Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, and it is always great to have this guest on the podcast as he does tremendous work over there with Fangraphs. He does some contributions with ESPN as well. He is a Zips statistician as he does a great job of just taking a look at the game of baseball as We've got Dan Zimborski joining me today. You're able to follow him on Twitter at his name, D Zimborski. So that's the letter D and then last name is spelled as Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. And Dan, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Greg, how's it going today? It is going great, Dan. Well, things are going great <laughs> for some teams other than others because we have now hit the all-star break. And I think that there are a couple obvious surprises right now. The Minnesota Twins and the New York Yankees out there in the American League being as downtrodden as they are. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants doing all that they're doing. And to a lesser extent, the New York Mets, not necessarily the record itself, but the way that they've been able to do it with all these injuries. But what really stood out to you in this first half of the season? Because in my opinion, the biggest one has been the Minnesota Twins being behind the Detroit Tigers in the standings. Now, if you would have told me that the Twins would have finished like second in the division or anything like that, I could have certainly believed you. But I certainly would not have believed you if you would have told me that at the halfway point, they'd be behind the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, if you had said that, I would have assumed that the Tigers had a huge breakout, not that Minnesota. Or traded for Troy Otani. (laughs) (laughs) Or traded for Mike Trout. (laughs) The Twins... 
I mean, they're 15 games out of a position, out of a wild card spot, 15 games back of the division, as we discussed it. It's probably not going to change that much the next day, only can change by a game or so. That's the biggest surprise for me. Now, for the league as a whole, I think the big theme has been this kind of this reduction in offense. And then the sudden new rules with the sticky substances that were just kind of thrown in and everyone has to kind of figure that out midseason. So those are, I guess, the biggest themes for me this year. Yeah, it certainly has been a very big theme. And we've seen a couple teams that want to make in the postseason last year. Now, granted, it was an expanded postseason last year, but teams that would have made the postseason in a regular year really slip back. And one of those is the Atlanta Braves as well, a Braves team that did not have a single day above 500 in the first half of the season. And things went from bad to worse for them on Saturday with Ronald Acuna Jr. being carted off the field. Now, with the Atlanta Braves, the offense is still going to be relatively fine if they don't have Ronald Acuna Jr. because Freddie Freeman's been able to pick it up. Ozzy Albies is having a nice year. Austin Riley has been able to pick it up. Heck, even guys like Abraham Almonte and Guillermo Aredia up there in the outfield, they've been relatively okay bats now. The fall-off from Ronald Acuna Jr. and the gentlemen that are going to be filling in for them, no question, that is a big fall-off. But I just take a look at the Atlanta Braves, and so many people think that a run is coming for them. And with not having Mike Soroka this year, with Uskara Yanoa seemingly not very close to returning, and the bullpen in general just not looking good, headlined by Shane Green coming off the injured list and delivering north of a 10 ERA, I just don't see it with this team, even if the offense continues to mash at a top five pace when it comes to home runs per game. No, even with Acuna on the roster, the Braves were an underdog because the basic truth is because of the Giants and their huge first half, if you're an NL East or an NL Central team, if you're going to make the playoffs, you're probably going to have to win the division. There's no fallback wildcard position. The division will be easier to do than in most cases. I mean, the offense will, I think, struggle somewhat. It won't be one of the worst offenses without Acuna. But at this point, I mean, we're talking like an hour after they carted him off the field that, I mean, I don't think either of us are particularly optimistic about that. And it's a team that they already needed help in a corner outfield spot. It's looking like we might not even see Ozuna play baseball again, given some of the charges against him. And that leaves them with you know, two missing corner outfield spots. They're below 500, and the loss of Soroka was huge because he's coming back maybe in 2022. That's not a good diagnosis, let's just say. So this is a team, I think, that they're going to have to be sellers at the deadline because I don't know how they could add enough to make good the losses and catch up to other teams. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and Like you said, we're doing this about an hour after we wound up seeing the Ronald Acuna injury, so we have no idea how long it's going to go. I will go out there on a limb, and I'll say that he will miss the All-Star game in a few days. I think that that's a fairly safe assumption, but certainly not looking good for him in the back half of the season, as we do have Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs joining me on the podcast. And really, when you take a look at these divisional races, I do think that the most intriguing one is that National League East because you've got, for lack of a better term, I would consider it the NFC East of Major League Baseball because they always call the NFC East in football the NFC Least. And we've seen that thus far. The New York Mets have been a bottom three offense all year long, but they've been able to get by because Jacob deGrom has been amazing. Taiwan Walker's having an all-star season. You've gotten good starts out of Marcus Stroman. And hey, The bullpen has actually been very good for the Mets. I will give them some credit. I know that Trevor May has had his struggles, but 
by and large, they've been solid. But I take a look at some of the teams that are trying to come on with the Atlanta Braves. They suffered a setback on Saturday. And then with the Washington Nationals, I think it's going to be intriguing because when they had Kyle Schwarber out there, they were able to make up some ground. You've got to feel like at this point, the Washington Nationals are not going to trade away Max Scherzer just because of what he means to the organization. If they have even a ghost of a chance to be able to get back into the divisional hunt, they're going to try to keep him around. But I do think that the Nationals are a very intriguing team moving forward if they are able to get a healthy Schwarber because this is a team that they've been doing a good job of being able to put back to ball. The bullpen to the surprise of myself, has actually been improved. It just feels like it's a situation in which they're getting guys on, but they just have not been able to drive them in the first half of the season. I think the fundamental problem with the Nationals right now is they're a very top-heavy team. If you look only at their top players, I mean, they stand with any team in baseball. You know, Max Scherzer, Juan Soto, Trey Turner. But then you realize that they're actually hitting Alcides Escobar leadoff after picking him up from the Royals, and he hasn't even been in the majors since 2018 and was terrible then. The team's depth is just a significant problem, and I think that's going to hurt them. And I don't see them making huge pickups. I don't think that they have the depth in the farm system to make, you know, something that scares the Mets because the Mets have been quite resilient given some of their injuries. They've lost, you know, half the team at some point this year. They have Conforto back now. Lindor has been playing better. I think that the Mets are probably going to pull away more likely than fall back farther. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that. It's going to be a very interesting race out there in the NL East, to say the least. And as long as the Mets are able to get back some of their pieces, because it looks like J.D. Davis is going to be good to go for the back half of the season. If you're able to get anything whatsoever out of Carlos Carrasco, along with Noah Syndergaard, that is going to be able to bolster a starting pitching rotation that has, by and large, been able to have three aces and then a couple other guys do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Guys like Tyler McGill have been able to give this team some good innings. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. And I'm also very interested to see what winds up happening with some of those AL West teams because the big two, the Oakland A's and the Houston Astros, they have their sights set on the postseason. I think we both agree Astros by far in the driver's seat to be able to get a postseason berth. You take a look at the last few seasons, the Astros have completely owned the Oakland A's. But I think what is going to be of interest is if the Angels wind up, and this is going to be a shocker here, acquiring pitching at the trade deadline. I mean, wouldn't that be a concept? Because the Angels have been able to get above 500 with Mike Trout on the injured list. Now, a lot of this is because Shoyatani has been their best pitcher, which that's probably something you don't want if you're the Angels, but at the same time shows just how amazing he's been this season. With Shoei Otani right now leading the league in homers, that has been nice. The emergence of Jared Walsh has been good, and lineup by and large has been incredible for the Angels. If they could just get anyone to give starts because the Jose Quintana experiment has went horribly wrong. They put him in the bullpen. He has not been good there. Rossio Iglesias has actually been able to pitch very well the second half of the first half of the regular season. If they could just get a couple arms, the Angels have a chance to be able to claw their way into a wild card berth. They always feel like a team that when you look at their roster and you say, hey, shouldn't they have addressed this during the offseason? That's what it feels like. I mean, you have Trout, you have Otani. That is an incredible first two to start with. Now, you know, they haven't had Trout on the roster for, you know, half the season so far. But he will return. I just don't see them making huge trades. That seems to go against their modus operandi in recent years. They don't really do these blockbuster deals in the season. Uh, and I think that the Astros and the A's are going to be more aggressive at the deadline. I can see the Astros picking up a closer. I can see them 
pairing Ryan Presley, who's already you know having a terrific season, pairing him with Craig Kimbrell or something from the Cubs because the Cubs are looking like sellers. It just feels like another Angels team that their challenge was to build you know a 500 team around Trout and Otani, and then they didn't do it. It's sad for 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 Trout, you know, to spend most of his prime just a poorly run team. I think. My- I, at this point, Mike Trout has won as many playoff series as the two of us, and that is not a list that you want to be on, to say the least. So it has been very unfortunate there, as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast. And if you just take a look forward to the second half of the season, is there maybe a team or two that you think will progress slash regress? I've looked like a little bit of an idiot saying that this team will regress, but I'm going to stick with it. The Seattle Mariners, a team that wound up entering their series, ironically enough, with the LA Angels, with a negative 50 run differential, and yet here they are five games above 500. I take a look at this, and I think that there is no way humanly possible that this is sustainable. Chris Flexen is allowing guys at like 230 at home and 350 on the road. It is wild what we have seen out there. That is my team that I really think is going to be sliding back to the fact. Is there one or two that really come to mind that you think might have a good second half of the year or they might wind up slipping back a bit. I'll agree with you on the Mariners. Run differential is still more predictive than actual win-loss record, and the team is being outscored. And they're not really in a place where they're going to make a big veteran addition during the deadline, no matter where they are. I think they will fall back. I think the Diamondbacks, they're not going to make a playoff spot or anything, but I don't think the Diamondbacks are this lousy. I think they'll get, you know, a couple pitchers back. Maybe they'll play, you know, 480 ball. But I don't see this team coming anywhere near close to challenging the 1962 Mets or anything like that. So I guess a, a Diamondbacks resurgence. I still think the Yankees are better than this. I'm from Baltimore, so I'm not exactly crazy about saying that. But it just feels like some of the guys who aren't hitting should be. And that's not a lot to go on. But I don't think this is I think this is a better than 500 team, especially with most of the pitching, except for Kluber being pretty healthy this year. I think they'll surge a little. I think the Giants will drop back a little bit. But the thing about the Giants is, is they're so far above 500 now that all they need to do to make the playoffs is to go 500. And I think they can go 500. I agree with you. I do think that the Giants will not wind up with the best record out there in the National League or anything like that, just because you do have the Padres and the Dodgers in that division. But I certainly do think that they'll be one of those teams that winds up making the wild card. And to your point about the Yankees as well, I do think that this is a team of which they probably wind up missing the postseason, but at the same time, I do agree with you. I think that this is a team that is going to be finishing above 500. I could see them being like an 87-88 win team. And if the Arizona Diamondbacks wind up going on another stretch where they go 1-28 and and 29 (laughs) road games, I really don't know what to tell you. I mean, the Colorado Rockies have been terrible on the road. Not even they had a stretch of 1-28 and in 29 games. I think that was the first time in baseball history that we wound up seeing that. And a man that makes history every single day with all the great work that he winds up doing. That would be you, Dan. You do an absolutely terrific job over there at Fangrass. You do a nice job contributing with ESPN as well. You do a great job day in and day out looking at the game of baseball. So let the good people at home know what you've got going on right now and how they're able to follow along on social media and elsewhere. Well, I'm working on a piece about modeling spin rate and what kind of pictures have been most affected by the changes in the spin rate. I'm still doing my mid-season projection review at Fangraphs, and there are some highs. And of course, since these are predictions, there are some lows too. So that's kind of what I'm focused on during All-Star Week, and you can find it all at Fangraphs.com or Zimborski on Twitter, which there's a lot of off-topic in that. Dan, much like myself, is a man that doesn't get a lot of sleep, which we appreciate men like this on this podcast. You might see some random like 
3 a.m. tweets from Dan, and they might not be pertaining to baseball, but they certainly are entertaining. And Dan <laughs> does a terrific job with a little bit of everything and kind enough to join me on this podcast from time to time as well. So big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. So we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to get Dan Zimborski of Fangrass on this podcast. He does absolutely terrific work over there. Does some work with ESPN. Does a nice job of just keeping his finger on the pulse of baseball in general. So, always great to get him aboard. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday. The last day before the All-Star break. And a little something I like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So, it is time to touch them all. Do you note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1. As per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where... The National League games are listed first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be on bottom. We do have a couple games that have undecided pitchers, but we've got a relatively clean board. Doesn't look like we're going to have any doubleheaders or anything like that, so that is a good relief. And we are going to be starting with that first National League game as we go 9-0-1, 9-0-2 to start. The Atlanta Braves are on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. One Pablo Lopez is going to be going for the fish. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Braves opened up about a minus 115 favorite. With the news of Ronald Acuna being injured, this is all of a sudden shifting. You're right now seeing the Marlins anywhere between minus 117 and minus 126. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Atlanta Braves anywhere between plus 108 and plus 116. Your total on this game is 7. And the total is all over the place. You're finding the over anywhere between minus 115 and plus 105. Meanwhile, with the under, you're going to be finding that anywhere between minus 105 and minus 125 and I do think that this might be a little bit of a stark overreaction to the Ronald Acuna news because with the Miami Marlins I wound up initially setting them as a minus 109 favorite I now have them as a minus 123 favorite so they would have been a play for me regardless but you're seeing with the betting market that they had more like a 40 cent move on Ronald Acuna Jr. and there are just few guys that wind up warranting that sort of a move and even though Ronald Acuna Jr. is amazing I think it might be a little bit too stark with that said I am still on the Miami Marlins in this spot you take a look at what you've been able to get out of them all year long this is a bunch that they've been able to do a great job of pitching at home and Mr. Pablo Lopez has been amazing at home so far this year just a 4-5 and record but a 2.94 ERA he has allowed just nine home runs in 95 innings, and if you take a look at him at home, 203 ERA, just a two and three record to show for it. But he has allowed four homers and 14 walks in 57 and two thirds innings. Opponents are getting 204 off of him. He has been great. Then you take a look at Ian Anderson, a guy that he does give out the free pass a little bit too much, right around 3.2, 3.3 walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine offers right around nine, and he's someone that has been very solid in his last four starts. He has given up in that time span a combined six runs, three runs or fewer, in every 
one of them, and he doesn't give up many home runs himself, right around .3 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at him on the road, he's actually been better than he's been at home, 3-3 three and three record, but 257 ERA away from Atlanta, opponents are going to get 221 off of him, so he's been relatively solid now with the Atlanta Braves. The big issue is the bullpen. Tyler Madzik has been able to give the team some solid innings so far this year. He did not wind up getting used up yesterday, but A.J. Minter did. He's a guy that's been coming around along with Luke Jackson, who's got a big 64 ERA. He wound up being used for 16 pitches yesterday, so you're going to be looking at someone like a Josh Shomlin likely having to come into this game, and you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. They are probably going to be using Abraham Almonte to be able to replace Ronald Acuna Jr., and he's actually been solid with a 375 on base. He just doesn't have the power that Ronald Acuna does, but you take a look at some of the other guys in the lineup. Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman. All these guys have been able to do a solid job with at least 14 homers apiece. Aside from Ozzy Albies, all have at least a 360 on base. All these guys hitting at least a 260. Orlando Arcia, who wound up getting acquired from the Milwaukee Brewers earlier this year. He's been converted into an outfielder, and he's right now hitting a 260. Not necessarily a ton of power, but he's been able to give you a tad bit of something. You've got Jonathan Lucroy at the catcher spot, and he's actually been a nice find so far. I don't know whether this 316 batting average is going to last, but he's able to give you a tad bit of something. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. You've been able to get Adam Duvall along with Jesus Aguiar to drive in a bunch of runs for you. For Duvall, he certainly hasn't necessarily been doing a great job with the batting average right around 235, but he has been able to supply the boom with 19 homers. You had Jazz Chislam hit that inside the park homer when the unfortunate circumstance of Acuna Jr. wound up getting hurt, but he, along with Miguel Rojas, you're able to throw in there Jesus Sanchez. How about Mangolia Sierra as well? And Joe Panic, all these guys hitting between a 237 and a 254. And for Chislam, he has been able to give the team 11 homers. For Aguiar, he does have 58 RBI as well. So, got quite a few guys who are doing a solid job there. But what I think is big for the Miami Marlins is that I like their bullpen a little bit more. Anthony Bender has given up a couple runs in the series, but by and large, he has been great all year long with a sub 2 ERA. A lot of their less than trustworthy bullpen pieces wound up getting used up yesterday, aside from Dylan Floral along with Emi Garcia. They did have to dive into that a little bit more than they would like, but I do think that Anthony Bass is going to be able to give you a couple good innings as well. I take a look at the spot, and I'm going to be riding with the Miami Marlins. I still do think that the overreaction to Ronald Acuna Jr.'s injury is there, but I wound up sending the Marlins in this spot with Acuna Jr. out a minus 123 favorite. Also made this all 7.7, so we're going to be going over along with the fish. 903-904 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they are going to be on the road facing off against the New York Mets. Chase Young is going to be going for the Pirates. Meanwhile, it is currently undecided for the Mets, so this is a game that is presently off the board, and you take a look at this one, and I do think that the Mets are going to be a pretty sizable favorite, even if it does wind up being a little bit of a bullpen game, because Mets bullpen, as we were talking about, with Dan Zimborski has been very good. You take a look at what the Mets have been able to get out of guys like Miguel Castro, who has made a couple opens so far this year, and you do like what you're seeing. Trevor May has not necessarily been the world's greatest out there in the bullpen for this team, but he wound up getting used up in that doubleheader yesterday, so you can't figure that you're going to see too much of them, and both of these teams did it wind up having to use quite a bit of their bullpen yesterday just because of the nature of the doubleheader. And for the Pirates, I will say, they do have a relatively solid bullpen of their own. Jason Shreve, Richard Rodriguez, these guys have been good for the team. Austin Davis is able to give you a couple innings. Kyle Crick has had a rough series so far, but I think that he's going to be able to find it. But then you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, and you've got a lot of guys that they're just not giving you a lot right now. Ray Dolfo Castro, this is a little bit of a new one. Kaye Tom, Jared Oliva... 
Kevin Newman. You're able to throw in there Ode Polanco. List goes on and on of guys that are hitting a 220 or lower. Ben Gamble has been able to hit a couple home runs recently for this team. And then you've got Brian Reynolds, Alonta, Adam Frazier. Pair of guys with north of a 385 on base. Pair of guys hitting above a 300. And for Reynolds, really the only guy putting bat to ball with regards to homers right now. He's got 16 of them. And I will say the acquisition for the St. Louis Cardinals, John Nagowski, he's been hitting above a 300, so give him some credit. And then for the Mets, this is a team that all of a sudden is getting a little bit more healthy. As you've got James McCann, Pete Alonso, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, all in between a 245 and a 260 with Jonathan VR just on the outside with a 241. Michael Conforto is back. He's hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200. Has been able to get on base, and I do think that he's going to round into form in the second half of the season. And for Pete Alonso, he entered into the second game of that doubleheader yesterday with 16 homers, so he certainly has been able to do his part. Francisco Lindor, 320 on base, but only a 220. That has been tough. Brandon Nimmo is a guy that I like with his 330 batting average. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Thomas Nito as well, but I do take a look at this spot. I'm probably going to be saying the Mets as a relatively decent-sized favorite. It all depends on what we wind up getting from them as you take a look at J.C. Young for the season. He hasn't necessarily been terrible for the Pittsburgh Pirates in his last five starts. He's given up two runs or fewer in three of them, but he doesn't necessarily lend a lot of length. Five innings or fewer in all of his last five starts. A guy that has been able to do a good job of being able to get some punch-outs right around eight strikeouts per nine innings, but has also given up just under 2.1 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine, that is hovering right around four as well, so not necessarily a guy that you want to be looking to. Probably going to be saying the Mets as some sort of a favorite, and in this spot, I would think that with my total, I'd be probably taking a look at an eight or lower, over eight and a half or higher to the under, but a little bit of subject to change. We need to know a little bit more about what the Mets are going to be doing with their pitching. Now to 5-9 to 6 on the bang board. The Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're under the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff is going to be going for the Brew Crew. Luis Casio is going to be on the bump for the Red Legs. Your total on this game is 7. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. Brewers are finding themselves as favorites between minus 140 and minus 148. With the Reds, your plus price anywhere between plus 125 and plus 137. And Woodruff has been very incredible for the Brewers all year long. He's had a couple rough starts recently, but he still has been able to really supply for the team all year long. 7-4 and four record despite a 210 ERA. His strikeouts per 9, that is a little bit above 10. He just has not given up the deep ball in general as in 17 starts he's allowed 9 homers over the course of north of 107 innings. At home at 222 ERA has yet to lose a decision at home so far this year and overall opponents are a buck 58 off of him. Meanwhile you take a look at Luis Castillo. He has suffered 10 losses but he has been significantly better recently. He has given up over his last 5 starts a combined 6 earned runs. Walks are still a little bit of an issue. He's given up at least 3 walks in 3 out of his last 5 starts and over Overall for the year, walks per nine rate is hovering right around a 3.6, 3.7, but he has done a much better job of reigning it in. Your big fear with Luis Casio is overall throughout his career, he's always been worse at home than he has been on the road. This year, he's got identical 481 ERAs, both at home and on the road, which I find to be a little bit funny, but he has given up more hard contact away from home. Seven homers, given up in 48 and two-thirds innings, and you take a look at this Reds lineup, and it has been quite amazing with Jesse Winker along the Casianos doing all that they're doing. A pair of guys that have on-base percentages that are north of a 375. Winker hitting right around at 300. He's been able to supply the boom with 19 homers. And then Cassiano's 17 bombs north of 50 RBI. Joey Votto, Taylor Naquin. pair of guys hitting between a 250 and a 260 behind him. Certainly is helping him for Votto. He has gotten hot ever since coming off the injured list. Jonathan India is working on getting his on-base percentage to right around a 400. So, got a lot of guys that are very capable, including Trevor Stevenson along Tucker Barnard. A pair of guys 
with north of a 350 on base in their own right. And then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers. Ever since William Adamas got to town, this offense has been a little bit different. For Adamas, he was struggling while he was with the race in his first 46 games with the Milwaukee Brewers. Nine homers in 165 at-bats, hitting right around a 300, 380 on base. So he has done a terrific job there. Jace Peterson hitting a 267. This is someone that a few weeks ago was hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200. Adamas along with Avi Sale Garcia overall for the year. Earning between a 250 and a 260 and for Avi Sale Garcia. 16 homers entering into yesterday. Christian Yelich, he needs to pick it up with his homers. Right around a 400 on base, but entering yesterday, 5 homers and 180 at-bats. You just expect more out of him. Luis Odias, he has been able to give you 12 homers. He's hitting right around a 240, but the on-base percentage has been there for the same route. Itelas is a guy that they're kicking the tires on as well. And you take a look at the Brewers. They just have a better bullpen in general. You've got Devin Williams, Josh Hader, in my opinion, the best 8th and ninth inning duo in baseball. Hunter Strickland has been able to give the teams some good innings along with Brad Boxberger. So, you got a lot of guys build around there. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, Brad Brock has been able to give the team some good innings out of the bullpen. I will say Art Warren has been able to do a solid job along with Josh Osich, who entered into yesterday with a 1 ERA, but Ryan Hendricks, Heath Embry, Amir Garrett, these guys have just not been able to cut it for the Reds. I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that the Brewers should be able to dominate this one. I do think that Castillo winds up giving up a couple runs, and then the Brewers are able to get into that bullpen. If you're taking a look at a run line price with the Brewers, I am currently finding that at a relatively good price of plus 155, you know, plus 156 at Circa. I'll take that Mondo Plus price with the Brewers on the run line, and I also set the total at 7.3, so riding with the over to go along with that. 907-908 is the New York Post play of the day, as you've got the St. Louis Cardinals on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. Mr. Trevor Williams is going to be going for the Cubbies. Adam Wainwright is going to be on the bump for the Cardinals. Right now, the Cardinals are finding themselves as very slight favorites. Anywhere between minus 106 and minus 112. If you're looking at the Cubs, laying as much as a minus 104, getting as good as a plus 102. Your total is anywhere between 6.5 and, and 7. Only Westgate and Circa currently have this at Circa. 6.5 overjuice is minus 115. The under is minus 105 at Westgate. The 7 has underjuice of minus 115, and the over is minus 105. I want them setting the total a little bit north of 8. I do recommend that the wind is going to be blowing in, and it's going to be blowing in quite significantly, but New York Post play of the day is going to be the over because you've got a guy in Trevor Williams that just does not command the ball very well at all, and one thing that doesn't necessarily get affected by wind giving up walks. And for Trevor Williams, 21 walks and 47 and a third innings. This is going to be his first start since coming off the injured list. So first start since May, you want to making a relief appearance against the Philadelphia Phillies. And he gave up seven runs in three and two thirds innings against them. So that doesn't lead you to a whole lot of confidence with him. He's given up nine homers and 47 and a third innings. So it's been a rough year for Trevor Williams. Meanwhile, you take a look at Adam Wainwright. He has been a vastly different pitcher home to road as well. 255 ERA at home, 4-3 and three record. On the road, actually has a 3-2 and two record, but 535 ERA. Opponents are getting a 205 off of them in St. Louis, 268 off of them on the road, and his strikeouts just completely fall off the table. He's got 37 punchouts on the road, 62 at home, so that is something that I take a look at him with the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a bullpen that has been a little bit shaky recently. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos have been two of your better relievers, but both of these guys have had their falters recently. Alex Reyes has still been very solid for the team, but Brian Waddle able to give you a couple good innings, and then for the Cubs, they had the second-best bullpen ERA in the league, 
two weeks ago, and over the last 14 days, their bullpen ERA is north of 7. These guys have just completely imploded. Craig Kimbrell has been amazing for this team, but now you've got a couple guys that are starting to implode. Kyle Ryan is a guy that they brought into the fold. He has not been able to do a good job. Rex Brothers is seeing some regression as well. And you take a look at the Cubs, you've got quite a few guys that are able to match for this team. Patrick Wisdom is getting a home run every 10 or so at bats. It's just absolutely amazing to see what he's been able to do. You've got Chris Bryant along with Anthony Rizzo and Will and Contreras, all with between 340 and 355 on base. Brian hitting right around a 275. Nico Horner is back in the fold. He's hitting a 330 now. Not having IV bias in the fold the last couple days has been a little bit of a falter, but at the same time, he doesn't necessarily walk a lot, and that is something that you do need to keep into account as well with the St. Louis Cardinals. You've got a lot of guys that have very similar numbers. Yadier Molina, Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Only between a 255 and a 270 with Carlson, his on-base is right around a 350. Rest of these guys are between, I would say, about a 320 and a 335. Tyler O'Neill has been able to do a good job of supplying homers. 15 homers, and he's been able to get a homer, I would say, every about 14 or so at bat. So that has been solved for this team. Paul DeYoung has been a little bit of a liability, but Umando Sosa has been able to give you a couple good at bats as well. I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that Trevor Williams is going to have a little bit of a rude awakening coming off the injured list. I think it's going to be tough with his command with the Cubs bullpen regressing the New York Post play of the day. It's going to be the over, and I wound up setting the St. Louis Cardinals as a minus 116 favorite. So we're going to be going with the cards and the New York Post play of the day of the over. 909-910 on the betting board. You've got the San Francisco Giants playing mostly Washington Nationals. Eric Fetty Wap is going to be home for the Nets. Kevin Gosman is going to be on the bump for the Giants. Total on this game is 8. Over and under any warp team minus 105, minus 115. For the Giants, you're going to be finding them any warp team minus 201 and minus 220. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Washington Nationals. Any warp team plus 176 and plus 198. Eric Fetty has certainly had his ups and downs in recent years. He has come off the injured list and he has not necessarily looked too sharp. In his last two starts, he has won a combined eight and a third innings, giving up 11 runs, all of which were earned, including three homers. Now, I will say in his previous two starts, 12 scoreless innings. So you've got the good and the bad. And then he also wound up having a scoreless outing against the Arizona Diamondbacks. But once again, that is against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And you take a look at Eric Fetty on the road. He has made six starts on the road so far this year. And opponents are only hitting a 219 off of him. But his walks per nine, that is hovering right around four. So that is a bit of an issue. And for Kevin Gosman, this man has been amazing all year long. How about a buck 74 ERA giving up? 0.7 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine, that is less than two and a half. Now, he did wind up giving up a couple runs late in that start against the St. Louis Cardinals, but he has given up three runs or fewer in all but two of his starts so far this year. So, he's come in. He's been able to do a very nice job there, and he's backed up by a bullpen that's been relatively solid for the Giants. I do like what you're able to get out of Dominique Leone, someone with right around a one ERA. Zach Liddell has right around a three-ish ERA. Jake McGee has had his ups and downs, but he has been pitching very well recently. Tyler Rogers is able to give you something. Even a guy like a John Brebo is someone I think is going to be a good asset for this bullpen. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals and Brian Hannon has been able to do a nice job for this team. Kyle Finnegan, Danny Hudson, fresh off the injured list, should be able to give this team something. Wander, I swear this guy sucks, is starting to give up runs. He has given up a combined four runs in his last four appearances, all of which an ending or fewer, so he is living up to the name of Wander. I swear this guy sucks. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals. It is a little bit tough for this team because they are without Kyle Schwarber. Wound up having 18 home runs in 
in the month of June, but Alcides Escobar has been able to get on for this team. He and Trey Turner down for what? North of 350 on bases, north of 310 batting average, and for Mr. Turner down for what? 17 home runs so far this year. Juan Soto has a 400 on base, but he's only got 11 homers. You just expect a little bit more out of him. Josh Bell hitting at 245 is actually relatively solid for this team, and they've now been kicking the tires on catcher Trace Padilla. He has been able to give the team right around a 275 batting average in limited opportunities. Sterling Castro is hitting a 275 for the team, along Josh Harrison. So, got a lot of guys that are getting on, and even Victor Robles, who's only hitting about a 212-325 on base for him. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. You've got a lot of guys that don't necessarily have great batting averages, that have on-base percentages, that are nearly 100 points higher than their actual batting averages. I take a look at Mike Ustremski, 230 batting average, 332 on base. Austin Slater, 222 batting average, right around a 300 on base. Darren Ruff, 267 batting average, but a 400 on base. So, you've got that going on. Joey Bart winds up getting called up to the big leagues, one of the most highly touted prospects out there, and he wound up having a nice day yesterday, getting a pair of hits. He was able to drive in a run, and then Thario Estrada, who was a part of that Mike Talkman deal, he has been able to hit a 360 for this team in limited opportunities. So, I do take a look at the Giants. I think that they're going to get another seller start out of Kevin Gosman. If you're taking a look at the run line of what has been really a money machine for you all year long with the San Francisco Giants, finding that anywhere between minus 103 and minus 115, I was willing to lay significantly more on the Giants run line. So I'm going to be taking a look at that. Wound up setting the total at 7.6 as well. So seeing the eights out there, I'm going to take that under along with the Giants on the run line. 9 11, 9 12 on the bang board. The Arizona Diamondbacks at the Red Face off against the LA Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers. Merrill Kelly is going to be on the bump for the years on the Diamondbacks. Trolls anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 9, the unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 8.5, overs anywhere between minus 120, minus 125. Unders anywhere between even and plus 105. With the Dodgers, big favorites. Anywhere between minus 205 and minus 220. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Arizona Diamondbacks, anywhere between plus 184 and plus 198. I know that many people are asking if the Arizona Diamondbacks are back, if the Dodgers are all of a sudden a poopy team because they wound up losing a few nights ago. I will tell you this, oddities happen in baseball. The Arizona Diamondbacks winning in Los Angeles on Friday was one of them. It was bound to happen. I am not going to be backing the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot just because of one isolated game. Now, you do take a look at Merrill Kelly, and he actually hasn't been halfway bad for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You take a look at what he's done over his last four starts. He has given up in those last four starts and combined six runs, and the Diamondbacks have actually won each out of his last four. Now, a lot of that is because the offense has been much better for him in that stretch rather than anyone else. They've scored a combined six runs per game in that stretch. They are scoring much less than that, typically on most nights, but for Merrill Kelly, he has been able to come out. He's been able to do his job but I will say for Merrill Kelly as well. Throughout his career, he's got an ERA that's about 1.7 points higher on the road than it is at home, so that is a little bit of an issue as well. And for Tony Gonsolin, he has actually been very solid for the LA Dodgers. He has made so far this year one bulk appearance and five starts. He has given up one runner fear in every one of them. Now, up until his last appearance against the Miami Marlins, he was going four innings or fewer. He went five and a third scoreless against the Miami Marlins, so you got to feel like he's starting to get a little bit stretched out. And for the LA Dodgers, bullpen has been used up quite a bit, but at the same time, they do have some guys that are able to lend some innings. David Price is someone that
that used to be a starter along Jimmy Nelson. So these guys should be able to hold down the fort for this team. I do like what you're getting out of Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning. I even take a look at a guy like a Jake Reed, and I think that he's going to be able to be a good bullpen piece for this team. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Arizona Diamondbacks. There is no trusting in any of these guys at this point. Joe Manapoli actually doesn't have the world's worst ERA for the Arizona Diamondbacks at right around a 4-1-5, but J.B. Bukakis, No Ramirez, Matt Peacock, Brett Day, Geis, these guys have just not been good. And then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. Eduardo Escobar has been incredible for this team. Entering into yesterday, he was able to pound out 20 homers overall for the season, so that has been very good for them. Josh Rojas has been able to give this team 10 homers, but other than those two guys, everyone in the lineup, seven home runs or fewer, and you don't necessarily have a bunch of great batting averages. You've got Paven Smith along with Escobar, Josh Rojas, David Peralta, all in between a 250 and a 265. Christian Walker's been able to pick it up a little bit recently. And Cole Calhoun hitting right around 290 for this team is relatively solid, but then you take a look at the LA Dodgers, you've got just the entire lineup doing a great job of being able to reach base. Albert Pujols doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest on base, but pretty much everyone else other than AJ Pog that was in the lineup yesterday, north of a 300 on base. Chris Taylor, Max Muncie, Justin Turner down for what Mookie bets along with Albert Pools and AJ Pollock, all at least 10 homers so far this year. So got a lot of guys there able to go yard for you. And then with the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is just a team of which entering into yesterday, they had lost 28 out of their last 30 road games. I do think that Gonsolin is going to be able to give you a good start in this spot. Now, I do recognize that Merrill Kelly has been better than most pitchers for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I think that the Dodgers are going to be able to get to them. I wound up saying the Dodgers as about a minus 220-ish favorite on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line, you're finding that anywhere between a minus 103 and a minus 115. I'm going to take the Dodgers on the run line and in this spot wound up setting the total at 9.2 because I think that the Dodgers offense going to get going. So we're going to be taking the over along that Dodgers run line. 9.13, 9.14 on the bang board. The San Diego Padres are going to be playing the Colorado Rockies. 55 shades of John Gray is going to be going for the Rockies. Ryan Weathers is going to be on the bump for the Padres. Your total on this game is 9 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Padres, that's anywhere between minus 173 and minus 180. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 151 and plus 163. John Gray has been one of the best pitchers for the Colorado Rockies so far this year, but it's just unavoidable that the Colorado Rockies are such a different team home to road at home. This is a team that they're hitting right around at 280 as a collective. They've been doing an absolutely amazing job there. On the road, this is a team that entered into yesterday with a 201 batting average. You have one guy that's currently hitting above a 255. That is a normal player for the Rockies, and that would be Charlie Blackman. This is just road numbers and road numbers only for the Rockies. 23 homers in their first 41 road games so far this year, so the power is way down. So that'll help out Ryan Weathers, the guy that has given up eight home runs at 56 and two-thirds innings, and we have seen Ryan Weathers just when he's been stretched out, not necessarily look like himself. He's given up three-plus runs in three out of his last five starts, which has been an issue. Whenever he goes five-plus innings, it feels like that's a little bit of a danger zone for him, but the good news is he is backed up by a Padres bullpen that has the best ERA out there in the big leagues. Mark Melanson right now leading the league in saves. Pierce Johnson, Tim Hill, they've been able to give you some good innings. Emilio Pagan, Craig Stammen, these guys have come in. They've done their job along with Austin Adams, and then you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. They've got the worst ERA of any team on the road so far this year. Yancy Almonte has right around a 10-ish ERA. Lucas Gilbreath has not necessarily been able to deliver a lot of good innings for this team. Michael Givens is off the injured list. He's actually been a solid piece for them. Tyler Kinley has an ERA that hovers right around a 4-6 as well, and I will say Justin Lawrence, 100 mile per hour fastball, there's a little bit of upside there, but then you take a look at the San Diego Padres and their lineup. You've got Fernando Tatis Jr., who 
leads the league in errors, so that actually helps out the opponent, but he's got a 295 batting average heading into yesterday, 28 homers, 20 stolen bases, 60 RBI. That is absolutely amazing. And then on the same team, Manny Machado has 60 RBI. He's hitting at 275, and you've got he, Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth, only between a 275 and a 277, all with a double-digit amount of homers, so that has been very good for the team. Will Myers, along with Eric Hosmer, both hitting right around 260 along Tommy Pham, who's also got a 375 on base. I take a look at the Padres, even though Ryan Weathers has not necessarily been the best when he's been stretched out. I do think that he's going to be able to outclass the Colorado Rockies, and I do think that you can get a couple good innings out of John Gray. You take a look at him on the road so far this year, it certainly has not been the same performance that you've gotten at Coors with a 5-1-6 ERA, but he deserves better than an 0-4 record in his six starts. He's given up two home runs at 29 and two-thirds innings. He's walks per nine, right around 2.5 on the road. Now, opponents are going at 315 off of him. He's not necessarily getting a bunch of swings and misses, but at the same time, he's been relatively respectable, but this is a spot in which all I could do is take a look at the San Diego Padres on the run line in the spot, and right now, I am finding that as good as a plus 110, so that is something that I do like because I was willing to lay a price with his Padres run line. Also, why I'm saying this total 8.2, so we're going to be diving under along with this Padres run line. 915-916 on the bang board, the Chicago White Sox at the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. You've got Spencer Watkins, who's going to be going for the Orioles. Don't cease and decease is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox, anywhere between minus 157 and minus 165 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Orioles, you're finding them anywhere between plus 144 and plus 152 with your total anywhere between 10.5 and, and 11. On the 10.5, overs minus 120, the unders even. On the 11, unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, overs anywhere between even and minus 110. I don't understand why the Orioles are not $2 underdogs at this point. I want to make him Dylan Cease a minus 240 favorite with the Orioles. There was a point in which in their game against the White Sox yesterday that in their last 113 innings, they had a collective 8-10 ERA. Nobody has been able to pitch for this team. Now, Spencer Watkins actually did wind up lending a very good first start for this team. He's made one start, one long relief appearance in that start against the Toronto Blue Jays. He winds up going five innings, gives up one run, was also able to give a scoreless setting of relief against the LA Angels a few weeks ago as well, but that's a very small sample size. He didn't necessarily look the best in the minor leagues. Meanwhile, Dylan Cease, he's given up about one home run per nine innings. Uh, walks per nine, hovering right around a 3.8, 3.9. That's not terrific but he's also getting right around 11.5 strikeouts per nine innings. If you're looking for a positive with the Baltimore Orioles, this is a lineup that has actually been able to put bad to ball. Cedric Mullins, Trey Boomer Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, all of these guys have been able to provide you with at least 14 home runs so far this year. Cedric Mullins, 380 on base, north of a 310 batting average. Mancini, Mountcastle, both hitting right around a 255, and then got a couple other guys that have been able to come through. Ramon Odias is now hitting nearly a 300. He has really surged since the beginning of the month of June, so I do give him some credit, but then from there, you've got Domingo Leyva, Chancisco, Austin Wins, Calvin Gutierrez, Ryan McKenna, Pat Vileka, Stevie Wilkerson, DJ Stewart, all hitting at 220 or lower. Austin Hayes has been able to hit 250 for this team. You've gotten a little bit of something. You got a Pedro Severino when he's been out there as well, but it's not been good. And for the Baltimore Orioles, the entire team is just failing with regards to the bullpen. You've been able to get some good innings all year long out of Tanner Scott along with Cole Solzer, both of these guys, sub 3 5 ERAs, but they're starting to just get used up a little bit too much. Fall. Paul Fry has been relatively reliable as well, but I don't know how long that's going to last. Cesar Valdez has been having a very rough run of it thus far. And then you take a look at the White Sox. 
Their bullpen has had ups and downs, but Liam Hendricks has been very solid for this team. You've got Garrett Crochet, who wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it in June, but he's been able to find it ever since then. Jace Fry just wound up coming off the injured list. Jose Ruiz has right around a 3 ERA as well, so the White Sox fully stocked with their bullpen, and you've got a bunch of guys for the White Sox, who despite all the injuries, just continue to get on base. You've got Gavin Sheets along with Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, all in between a 245 and a 255 for Abreu. He's He's got 66 RBI, 15 homers. Tim Anderson, he's a north of a 300 at the top of the lineup. You Mancata, a 400 on base. You've even had Billy Hamilton be able to get on base for this team, which is very surprising because whenever he's able to get on base, he's very fast, but he tries to put the ball in the air a little bit too much, and Jake Berger's hitting a 380. I don't think that that's going to last, but still, it's been very nice for this White Sox team. Because the White Sox are a little bit banged up, I did wind up setting this total a tad bit lower. I set this more around a 10.3, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under in this spot, but like I said, I made the White Sox well north of a $2 favorite. I'm seeing the run line right now. I'm seeing that anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. I am very content to take that. We're going to take the White Sox on the run line and I'm going to be digging this little under as well. 917-918 on the main board. You got the Toronto, aka Buffalo Blue Jays in the road face-off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Rich Hill is going to be going for the Rays. Robbie Ray is going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 114 and minus 120. Meanwhile, if you're able to look at the Rays, you're going to be finding them as bad as a minus 105, as good as a plus 110. 8.5 is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105 for the Rays. They have been able to get a lot of production out of Rich Hill. Now, he wound up having something like a 8-start stint in which he wound up giving up a combined 9 innings. That has dried up, but still, he's been able to do a good job so far this year. 6 and three record, 365 ERA. Home runs have been a little bit of an issue. He's given up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but at home he's been a little bit better than he has been on the road. At home, opponents are in just a buck 96 off of him. He has gotten 60 strikeouts in 47 and two-thirds innings, so that has been incredibly impressive. And then you take a look at what Rich Hill has been able to do recently. He has given up four-plus runs in three out of his last five starts, but if you're looking today to back a little bit further, he has given up two runs or fewer in all but three of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of May as well, so... You can look at either the good or the bad with that. Meanwhile, with Robbie Ray, he has given up a whole bunch of hard contact. 20 home runs in 93 and two-thirds innings, so about 1.9 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine is way down than it's been in his career. He's a career about four walks per nine innings guy. More like 2.2 so far this year, and the swing and miss stuff is there. 11.5 strikeouts per nine innings, so he is giving up a home run in pretty much every one of his starts, sometimes two, as I believe that he has made one start since the beginning of the month of May, in which he has not given up a homer, but at the same time, he's been able to limit the damage. He has given up three runs or fewer in every one of his starts since the beginning of the month of June, so you've got that going on. The big fear with him, just like it is for Ross Stripling as well of the Blue Jays, is that those solo shots, they turn into two-run shots, they turn into three-run shots, but the good news for the Toronto Blue Jays is that their lineup is able to counter that, because you've got Marcus Simeon and Boba Shett at the top of the fold. Both of these guys, hey, north of a 275, both of these guys right around a 345-ish on base for Bichette. He has been able to give the team 16 homers. You've got Marcus Simeon pounding out 22 of them. Flagger or Jr., 435 on base, 335-ish batting average. He has got 28 homers and over 70 RBI. Tasker Hernandez is hitting right around a 300. Randall Gritchick, Lords Gurriel, pair of guys hitting between a 255 and a 265. Santiago Espinal has been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's very strange because you've got Brandon Lau along with Mike Zanino, a pair of guys that are hitting below a 210, but a pair of guys that have both given you at least 19 homers, including 
both guys combining for three homers yesterday. So that has been very fascinating to see. And then from there, you wind up having Kevin Kiermeyer, Austin Meadows, Yandy Diaz, Randy Orozarena. All these guys hitting between a 237 and a 253. And in the case of Meadows and Orozarena, right around a 340 on base. And for Diaz, a 370 on base. So you've got a bunch of guys on the Rays that they've got like these... 230, 240-ish batting averages, but their on-base is like 100 points better than their actual batting average. And then you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Bullpen is still a little bit depleted, but reinforcements have come in. They have traded for Adam Simber. They now have brought in Jacob Barnes. They wind up acquiring Trevor Richards from the Milwaukee Brewers. And Taylor Sacido has been very good for this team. He's got a sub-2 ERA. Meanwhile, with the race, you've just got arms upon arms. They acquire J.P. Fireisen, ironically enough, from the Milwaukee Brewers. You wind up bringing in as well Jeffrey Springs, who has been solved for the same Pete Fairbanks, Diego Casillo. These guys have been able to deliver. And I take a look at this spot, and I do think that the Rays should be a little bit of a favorite, just because I do fear that Robbie Ray winds up giving up that two or three run shot that winds up being a little bit of a crippler for him, which is why I've set the Rays as a minus 106 favorite. We're going to be taking them. Also, why I'm saying this total 8.3, because I do like the Rays bullpen, and they are a little bit of an all or nothing team. So we're going to be going under along with the Rays. 919, 920 on the bang board. Currently, a game that's off the board as you've got the Kansas City Royals on the road facing off against the Cleveland. Indians. Eli Morgan is going to be going for the Indians. Right now, we've got to be determined on the betting board for the Royals. Right now on ESPN, I am seeing Chris with the K Boobich going for the Royals. If it winds up being Chris with the K Boobich, Royals are going to be a plus one, 11 underdog. Indians minus 111, 10.2 is going to be your total. So, 10 or lower, going to be taking a look at the over. 10.5 or higher, would be taking a look at the under. So, you've got a wide range there with Chris with the K Boobich. You wound up having a couple very good starts to begin the year. Regression has really set in, and Eli Morgan he just hasn't had good starts at all this year. Eli Morgan at 8.44 ERA. He's given up north of three home runs per nine innings. Eight homers at 21 and a third innings. And this is something that you don't see very often. He's giving up two home runs for every walk that he's surrendering. He's given up four walks and eight homers in that time span. Meanwhile, with Chris Boobich, he's not too far off. He's given up 30 walks in 56 and two-thirds innings. So that's right around five walks per nine innings. He's also giving up right around two and a half homers per nine innings with 13 surrendered. So you've got a pair of guys that they're giving up the hard contact. And then you take a look at the Indians bullpen. It has been relatively solid all year long. James Karen, check Emmanuel Clase. These guys have been able to come through. Nick Sandlin wound up getting used up a little bit yesterday, but this is a guy that has been able to give this team some good innings as well, along with Brian Shaw. And for the Cleveland Indians, you do have guys that are all of a sudden able to get on base for this team. Harold Ramirez, a lot of Framel Reyes, both hitting in that pocket of a 275. And for Framel Reyes, he is getting a home run every about 13 or so at bats. Amid Rosario, Jose Ramirez, along with Oscar Mercado, are all right around a 260. And for Jose Ramirez, 18 homers so far this year. So he has been able to supply the boom, and Cesar Hernandez, though he's only hitting a 225, got his 15th home run the season yesterday, and then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals, Andrew Benatendi is back in the fold, that is big, because he, Whip Merrifield, Salvador Perez, all in between a 270 and a 275 for Benatendi, double-digit amount of homers for him, Salvador Perez, 21 homers, Benatendi and Perez both wound up going deep yesterday, now, Hunter Dozier, Jorge Soler, along with Ryan O'Hearn, these guys need to pick it up, you're able to throw in there, Sebastian Riviero as well, all these guys are in a 215 or lower, so it's been a little bit tough on that front, but Dinky Lopez giving you right around 260 batting average along to answer Alberto, I feel like he's been a little bit underutilized, I think that he's been a little bit banged up, but still, and then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals bullpen, it's just not on par with the Cleveland Indians, Jake Brent, Scott Barlow have been solid all year long, but Brent's wound up giving up a walk-off homer a couple days ago, you've got Greg 
Coleman do? Has been up and down this year. Richard Lovelady has been terrible out of the bullpen. Josh Shamout, after a good start to the year, he's been regressing a little bit. So in this spot, setting the Royals as a very slight underdog. But this is a spot in which I'd be willing to take the over as long as it's a 10 or lower 10 half or higher, that's when we start to look at the under. 921, 922 on the bang board. The Detroit Tigers are going to be in the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Twins. Willie Peralta is going to be on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Tigers are finding themselves as big underdogs. Any protein plus 184 and plus 208. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, any more between minus 213 and minus 230. 8.5 to 9 is your total. On the 8.5, overs minus 120 and the unders even on the 9. Unders any more between minus 115 and minus 125. Overs any more between plus 105 and minus 105 and for Jose Barrios he has been very dominant at home meanwhile for Willie Peralta he actually pitched seven scoreless innings in his last start the Tigers have been able to get a little bit of something out of Willie Peralta now I don't think that his 2-1-4 ERA with one home run and right around two and a half walks per nine is going to last but for Willie Peralta in four starts he has allowed a combined five runs and all of those came in his first starts now I will say one of those starts was also two and two-thirds innings against the Houston Astros but still Still, you have been able to get something out of Willie Peralta. Meanwhile, Jose Barrios, throughout his career, he's just always been better at home than he has been on the road. But if you take a look at the splits, he's been relatively solid both at home and on the road and actually has a little bit of a higher ERA at home so far this year. He's given up six homers at home in 49 innings. Opponents are getting a 221 off of him. His strikeouts per nine, that is right around 11. So he has been very good for the team now with the Minnesota Twins. The bullpen can be a little bit up and down for the team. Jorge Alcala has been inconsistent to say the least. Alex Colome has been a big giant waste of money but he got used up yesterday so you're gonna have Enzo Robles along Taylor Rogers out there available for the team and for the Minnesota Twins the young guys have been able to step up for this team Trevor Larnich along with Alex Gerloff in between a 254 and a 262 that has been very nice to see and then you've got Ore Palanco Josh Donaldson both hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 250 Luis Arias has been able to give the team a 300 along Nelson Cruz and for Nelson Cruz we all know about the power that he has right around 18 homers so far this season for him. Catcher spot in general has been brutal for the Minnesota Twins, but offense has been there for them. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that they've got a couple guys that are starting to emerge. Harold Kessler, Jamir Candelario, Akil Badu, Jonathan Scope, all in between 8266 and 8280. In the case of Scope, he has been going deep a lot recently. 16 homers, 50 RBI. You've also been able to get a little bit of something out of Zach Short. Only hitting a 225, but a 370 on base. Robbie Grossman a 355 on base, so you've got some good pieces here with the Detroit Tigers. The bullpen wound up getting completely gassed as it was a bullpen game for them yesterday, so Kyle Funkhauser is not going to be used, but Gregory Soto is someone that you might be able to look to to be able to give this team a couple of innings. If you're looking for someone as well, Jose Cicerno, he did wind up using 30 pitches, so he is going to be out of the fold, but you do still have a couple other guys that you're probably going to be looking to, like a Buck Farmer. That's not necessarily what you want to hear if you're the Tigers, but with that said, I think that it's going to be a very interesting spot to see if Peralta winds up seeing some regression. I want to say this total at a plus 216, so I do think that there's going to be a regression coming in. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, I was willing to lay more like a minus 125, so I'm going to be taking that Twins run line. Also, I want to saying this total at 8.4, because I do think that Peralta actually going to do a halfway decent job for the Tigers, but I think that Parillos is going to be solid, so we're going to be taking the under along with that Twins run line. 923, 924 on the banging board. The New York Yankees are on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. 
Framber Valdez is going to be going for the Astros. Jameson Dion is going to be going for the Yankees. Yankees are finding themselves as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 129 and plus 137. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Astros, anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150. 8.5 to 9 is your total on the 9. Unders anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The overs anywhere between even and plus 105 on the 8.5. Overs anywhere between minus 150 and minus 120. The unders anywhere between even and minus 105. And for Jameson Dion, it certainly has been an up and down year, and I just don't trust him on the road. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Jamison Dion on the road, and it's not been good. And overall, a 5.05 ERA with right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings surrendered. The swing and miss stuff is there, but on the road, he's made six starts, 8.25 ERA. He is averaging four innings per start. Opponents are getting a 3.30 off of him. It has not been good, and that's putting it politely. Meanwhile, you take a look at Framber Valdez. 5.01 record, sub-3 ERA. He's given up right around .8 home runs per nine innings. The walks per nine, that's right around three. So he's been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to rein it in now. He's coming off his worst start of the year. He wound up giving up six runs of five innings against the Oakland A's, but prior to that, three runs or fewer were given up in every one of his starts so far this year. You take a look at this Houston Astros team, and you've got a lot of guys that are able to barrel up balls. Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Yoli Gurriel, Jordan, Alvarez are all guys that are going to be able to give you at least a 275 batting average. I'll have at least a 360 on base. Now, Carlos Correa is currently on the injured list for health and safety protocols, so he's not going to be available in this game, but you know what? Miles Strong, Kyle Tucker. Pair of guys hitting at 270 for this team. For Tucker, double-digit amount of homers, so these guys have been able to come through, and for the New York Yankees, you do have a team that is all of a sudden being able to emerge with their offense. E.J. LeMayu, John Carlos Stanton, Gio Urshela, only between a 265 and a 275, Aaron Judge, we all know what he's been able to do. 21st home run of the season yesterday. Luke Voigt is starting to find it as well. He and Glaber Torres are hitting right around at 240. And for Voigt, led the league in home runs last year. Now, guys like Kyle Agashioka, Tim LeCastro, Brett Gardner, they're hitting right around a 215 or lower, throwing their root at door. But you've been able to get a little bit more production out of these guys. And for the Yankees, even though the bullpen has had its falters, You've got a couple good pieces out there. Jonathan Lewise guy is someone that I really like for this team. You've had Juani Peralta certainly have his downs along with Justin Wilson. I do think that you're going to be able to get some good production out of Jay Green if he winds up entering in this game. Aroldis Chapman is just all over the map right now. And for the Houston Astros, Brian Abreu wound up getting a little bit lit up earlier in this series, but Ralph Garza Jr. has been tearing it up at the minor league level. When he's been called up, he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job. Brian Sanic, Blake Taylor, they're able to give you some good innings along with Ryan Presley. I take a look at this spot. I just cannot trusting Jamison Tyon on the road. I want him saying the Astros as a minus 158 favorite. If you're looking at an Astros run line, you're finding that across the board at a plus 135. I was willing to take anything above a plus 125, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. Also wind up saying this total at 8.4 because the Astros are missing a couple guys. I'm going to be diving under in the spot to go along with that Astros run line. 925-926 on the winning board. The Oakland A's are going to be on the road facing up against the Texas Rangers. Kobe Ullard is going to be going for the Rangers. Chris Bassett as the Oak line and sinker for the Oakland A's who are finding themselves anywhere between minus 140 and minus 150 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Texas Rangers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 129 and plus 137. 8.5 is your total. Over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Kobe Allard has been able to line some pretty solid starts so far this year for the Texas Rangers. I actually think that he's a little bit of an undervalued pitcher, but problem is he's not necessarily backed up by the world's greatest bullpen, and John King, one of the best bullpen pieces, is currently on 
the injured list for Allward. Deserves a little bit better than a 2-5 record. 3.45 ERA. He's given up a little bit over a home run per nine innings. His walks per nine is sub two as well. So that has been a good attribute. And at home so far this year, 3.18 ERA. Nine total appearances. Four starts. He has opponents sitting at 2.02 off of him. So that has been impressive. He's going up against a guy in Chris Bassett, though, that he has also been impressive. Now, his last start against the Houston Astros was terrible. He gave up six runs in four and a third innings. Prior to that, he had given up two runs or fewer in each out of his previous five starts. I think that he's going to get back into that mold as this is a guy that all year long has been able to do a good job of limiting hard contact. And you take a look at him on the road, he hasn't necessarily been the same as at home. He has given up seven homers in 58 innings on the road at home, more like four homers in 53 innings. And overall, opponents are hanging about at 220 off of him. For the Texas Rangers, Joey Gallo has been able to do a very nice job of being able to put bat to ball for this team. Over the last two weeks, he has been able to give the team, I believe it's now nine home runs. He wound up going deep again yesterday for his 24th of the season. Adolius Garcia winds up going deep for his 22nd, but he's got like six homers in his last 50 days, so that's been a little bit tough there, but for Garcia, he's hitting right around 275. Got a lot of guys on this team that are hitting, I would say, between about a 225 and a 240. You've got Mr. Gallo in the fold, Jonah Heim, Jose Trevino, Nick Solak, Brock Holt is hitting right around 220, so got a lot of guys that they do need to pick it up a little bit by Zaire Canary Falefa along the low. Pair of guys hitting at 260 and for low, right around 355 on base, and then you take a look at the Oakland A's. You have been able to get Matt Olson to really give you some great production all year long, north of 20 homers, 280 batting average. Matt Chapman, Elvis Andrews, and Ramon Laureano, coupled with Tony Kemp, all in between a 230 and a 245, but for Kemp, a 370 on base. Jed Lowry has been able to get on base with right around a 340 on base, 265 batting average. Need a little bit more out of guys like Seth Brown, Sean Murphy, but you have seen a lot of these guys come along for the ride, and you do have Sky Bolt, who's hitting a buck of six, but he's got one of the best names ever in Sky Bolt, and I have a lot more faith in the Oakland A's bullpen. J.B. Wendelkin is off the injured list. Going to take him a little bit of time to be able to sort things out, but Lou Trevino has been able to do a very good job all year long for this team. Giolias Carrera wound up getting used up yesterday, but only for nine pitches, so he's someone that you're probably going to be able to look to. Jake Diekman wound up getting used up yesterday, so likely not going to be able to go, but Sergio Romo has actually been better recently for the Oakland A's. Hard to believe that, but he has been, I wound up saying the A's right around a minus-162 favorite, and I also wound up saying the saw at 7.8 as I do believe that both of these pitchers are going to be able to perform very well, so I'm going to be diving under it. When it comes to the run line, I need to ride around a plus 115 to be able to take it. Seeing a lot of plus 105 to plus 110, so I'm going to play it safe on the money line and take this total under. 927, 928 on the bang bar. The LA Angels hit the road to face up against the Seattle Mariners. To be determined is going for the Mariners, so this is a game that's off the board. Meanwhile, one Jose Suarez is going to be going for the Angels. For Mr. Suarez, he was absolutely amazing for the Angels as a long relief guy that would give you like three four innings. In his first start, he wound up getting lit up as that was against Boston Red Sox. Went three innings, gave up two runs, was lucky it wasn't worse as he gave up four walks and three hits in those three innings, was evading a lot of danger. Prior to that, in long relief, he was looking very, very good. So you could tell that the role itself is just not very favorable for Jose Suarez as throughout his career, this is just a guy that whenever he's made starts, he just has not been able to come through for him. He's a career 649 ERA and his strikeout to walk rate is a two. So, don't necessarily have a lot of production there. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, 
It's anyone's guess as to what they might wind up going with. This is a bunch in which they've got someone like a Kendall Graveman who's got starting experience. He might be able to give you a couple innings. Eric Swanson might be a candidate as well. And for Swanson, a 0.69 ERA so far this year. He has made two spot starts, but this is also a guy that when he's been a consistent starter throughout his career, it's not been good as he's got a career ERA that's north of five as well. So you're probably going to be looking at a little bit of a higher scoring game because when you take a look at the Angels, you've got Shoei Otani. 33 homers and a 280 batting average, but loss in the shuffle is Jared Walsh. He's hitting a two. 280 as well with 22 homers. Both of these guys, a combined 134 RBI going to yesterday. David Fletcher in the month of June hit right around a 360. Phil Gosselin, Max Sassy, both of these guys are hitting above a 300 as well. Juan Lagares has not necessarily been great for this team, but even Jose Iglesias hitting a 280 and for the Seattle Mariners. This team has the worst batting average out there in the American League as Lewis Torrance, Kyle Seeger, Tom Murphy, Shed Long, Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell, Jorge Mamaloes. The sent down to the minor leagues, Jared Kelly. Jake Bowers, all inning a 220 or lower for this team. But Ty France, 350 on base. Mitch Anniger, 20 homers. He has been able to hit for this team right around at 255. J.P. Crawford has been solid at the top as well. But you take a look at this spot, and you've got an Angels team that they haven't gotten a lot of production out of Suarez as a starter. Bullpen has been a little bit better recently with Rossi Iglesias being able to come on strong. Andrew Wants is actually someone that I like that they want to be calling a few weeks ago from the minor leagues. He should be able to give this team a couple innings, but I've had question marks with guys like Junior Guerra, Alex Claudio, Tony Watts. And so this is a spot in which I'll probably be setting the Angels as a very slight favorite just because I think we're going to get Eric Swanson for the Seattle Mariners and then a host of others. And I think that Suarez is just going to give a little bit more in general, but this is probably going to be a total that's north of nine. Check back in the morning. My Twitter feed at Jaren's Cordy. Well, once we know a little bit more about the plan for the Mariners and wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bank board, the Boston Red Sox are going to be playing us the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Phillies. Nick Pavetta is going to be on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox are finding themselves as favorites in the spot. Anywhere between minus 118 and minus 125. For the Phillies, your plus price is anywhere between a plus 105 and a plus 112. 10 to 10.5 is your total on the 10. Or is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110 on the 10.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And for Aaron Nola, he just has not been the same on the road as he has been at home. But his team is performing a little bit better for him on the road at this point. You take a look at Aaron Nola overall for the year. He has given up right around 1.3 home runs per night innings on the road. Overall, a 540 ERA, but he has a 3-3 record on the road so far this year. He has been able to do better recently, but I will say this. He has still given up a lot of hard contact on the road. Nine homers in 53 and a third innings. His walks per nine jumps by nearly double as well, but you do take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and it's been up and down. You take a look at his starts ever since the beginning of the month of June. Three runs given up, four runs, 0-6-0-7-4. So, that has been very fascinating, and in that time span, the Phillies went 4-3. and three. So, that tells you that his games have turned into slugfests. Meanwhile, with Nick Favetta, regression has set in for him a little bit as he has given up at least three runs in three out of his last five starts, but has done a good job of being able to keep the contact down in general. Opponents are getting a 220 off of him. His strikeouts per nine innings right around a 10.6. So he's been able to do a good job there now at home. He's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings. He has also been issuing a lot of free passes. He has given up right around four and a half walks per nine whenever he's been at home and for that matter on the road as well. So that has been a little bit of an issue, but he is backed up by a relatively solid bullpen. Now with the Boston Red Sox, the problem is they wound up having to use up a lot of their trustworthy bullpen pieces. Garrett Woodlock, Herta Kazusarumoda, wound up coming out of the bullpen yesterday. Now Darwinson Hernandez has been very solid for this team. Matt Barnes is someone I like as well. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, bullpen has not necessarily been terrific 
perfect, but if you need Ranger Suarez to be able to give you a little bit of life, he's been able to do so, and with the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have a solid lineup. You've got a pair of guys in G. Segura along with J.G. Riamito at the top with right around a 370 to a 375 on base for Bryce Harper. It certainly has been a lot of solo shots for him. 280 batting average, 15 homers, 14 have been of the solo variety, but he's hitting him out. Andrew McCutcheon, Reese Hoskins, D.D. Gregorius, only between a 230 and a 235, but for Hoskins and McCutcheon, both of these guys, 15 plus homers, McCutcheon, 350 on base, so you do like to see that, and you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Ronald Torres, who's been able to hit a 260, and you even take a look in the outfield, Luke Williams has been solved for the same or for the Boston Red Sox. The lineup has been very powerful. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, both hitting above a 3 both of these guys have been able to give you at least 14 homers. You've got a guy in Rafael Devers, who's got over 70 RBI, 22 homers so far this year, so that is something that you'd love to see. Hunter Renfro, Christian Arroyo, Christian Vasquez, only between a 248 and a 260, throwing their Kevin Ploiecki as well, so these guys have been able to step up for this team. Michael Chavis has come off the injury list. He hasn't necessarily given the team a whole lot of something, but Alex Verdugo, 350 on base as well. I do take a look in this spot, and I do think that Nick Pavetta, because he is giving up so many walks, right around four walks per nine innings overall for the year, that is going to be a little bit of an issue. He just doesn't pitch the same at home as he does on the road. Meanwhile, for Aaron Nola, he doesn't pitch the same on the road that he does at home, so it's a good old something's got to give scenario. I want him saying the Phillies as a plus 110 underdog, so seeing the plus 112 out there at Circa, I'm going to wind up taking that. Also want him saying this all at 9.3, so we're diving under along with the Phillies on the money line, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Opening Podcast on this Sunday. A big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways you will fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters DM. Maybe it does not matter. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast over there. I will be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. We've got the Home Run Derby. I'll give you guys a little bit of something there. I don't really plan on betting it too much, but with that said, I know that there's a man for it, so I will give you guys something there, recap everything that we wound up seeing from Sunday, all that good stuff. So I'll be chatting at you guys once again tomorrow as I will be every single day throughout this baseball season and I appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you.